So last year, I went to Mayfield Depot and I was standing on a viewing platform looking out at this sort of hubbub of activity. Um, it basically looked like a building site. There were sort of diggers sort of pulling stuff out of the ground. There were workmen everywhere. And I was told that this was going to be the site of Manchester's newest city centre park. This week, that park is finally open to the public. This is the Manchester Weekly from the mill. Hello, I'm Yoshi Herman, and today I'm joined by the mill's staff writer, Danny Cole, to talk about a new park in Manchester and a few other important stories that are going on in the city this week. Hello, Danny. Hello, Yoshi. Now, Danny, the first story we're talking about, and we are recording before you've gone down to the park, so, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit in theory. We're going to have a special episode on it on Sunday after you've been down there, but we're talking about Mayfield Park. On the website, it says open space, sky, trees, the natural meander of the Medlock, and increased biodiversity. Manchester has a new green heart in Mayfield. Tell us about this park, Danny, and, and, and what's going on. Yep, so um, Mayfield Park is being touted as Manchester City Centre's um, first park in a hundred years. And by the time you will be listening to this episode, it will be finally open to the public. Um, it's taken about 18 months to sort of complete because um, I believe when they first started work on it, it was a bit of a, a bit of a tip. It was a bit of a, you know, an industrial sort of rubbish site so they've just been clearing the land sort of getting it ready and there's quite a bit of excitement because it's hoped that the new park is going to sort of boost the area's ecosystem so um you know back in back in the day you know manchester was quite polluted there were quite a lot of cotton mills and there was sort of um it was a hotbed of pollution but at the moment it's got a nice swathe of riverside habitat and there are going to be 146 trees which is very good news for the bats, which I believe will be hopefully taking up residence there. Why the bats? Have the bats expressed an interest in in, in <laughs> um, No, but I believe um, the park's going to have like sort of special lighting, so it's not going to sort of deter the bats. So I think that they've designed it in a way where the light's going, you know, side to side rather than like down or something. So um, yeah, so it's good news for the bats. Um, and yeah, Bev Craig has just basically called this new park um, an oasis in the heart of our city and a game changer. A game changer, yeah. This is something that people have been talking about for a while. This whole Mayfield development, which I don't know that much about, but it's quite near where I live, so I should know more. It's a huge redevelopment site of former industrial land, former rail stations and depots and derelict factories and all that kind of thing. And it's a public-private partnership. So it involves private developers and investors, as well as the council and transport Transport for Greater Manchester. And I think the fact that it's not entirely public, it's something that some people have, have, have alighted on as, as a potential issue. That, I, I, you know, this park is not purely in public hands. Um, private investors have a, have a stake in it as well. Um, we'll see sort of how that plays out and how that really affects, you know, people's access to it and that kind of thing. But that, that, that could be something that's worth keeping an eye on. It seems exciting, though, because Manchester often gets criticised for not being green enough, doesn't it? And, and, and this obviously is a kind of, it's going to be an accessible green space in, in the city. So I'm looking forward to going. Danny, you actually went there last year, didn't you? You were sort of poking around, as, as, as you said in the intro to this podcast, you basically saw a 
building site? What what was going on on the site at that point? Um, not a lot, to be honest. I mean, when I when I went there, it just looked like um, a lot of diggers, a lot of um, workmen in high vis and hard hats. Um, but I did see sort of sections of the river medlock being uncovered. And I think they were just basically laying, you know, getting the ground ready, sort of getting rid of, I suppose, the, the bits of, you know, concrete and rubble, you know, or the stuff buried under under um, sort of the ground to sort of make it good for sort of landscaping and sort of building on. But yeah, I was quite sceptical when um, I was told, you know, this is going to be Manchester's newest green space, newest, you know, nice park, because it just it, it did look a bit underwhelming. But um, I'm hopefully going to be um, proven wrong. Yeah, proven wrong when, when you go along, and we're going to have a Sunday episode on that. Okay, so on Sunday, in your feed, you will get Danny's report from the park, including uh, a couple of interviews of the people behind it, uh, the sounds and the sights of, of the first day in the park. I believe there are going to be school children running around, and hopefully you can get a hold of Bev Craig and, and maybe speak to, speak to Phil Griffin about what he makes of it and that kind of thing. So that's coming up on Sunday. Now, Danny, something else you've been looking at recently is Old People's Day, or is it Older People's Day? It's coming up next Sunday, not this this coming Sunday. It, I think it's a day that's held across the country, isn't it? But it's of particular interest in Greater Manchester because local leaders here have been, and charities and, and policymakers, have been putting loads of effort into making Greater Manchester an age-friendly uh, uh, place. Um, what, what does that mean and what's this day all about? What have you been finding out by speaking to people? Um, yeah, so Manchester, I believe, was one of the first um, cities in the UK to be recognised by the World Health Organisation as being age-friendly. Um, so basically, I've been digging into what does that actually mean? It, you know, it sounds a bit jargony, um, but it turns out there's been a lot of work going into this. Sort of the University of Manchester has sort of led um, sort of a research, a research sort of project into um, healthy ageing, um, sort of how to prevent falls um, and sort of initiatives on how we can help older people. Some of the people I've been speaking to um, have spoken about, you know, the transition from going from employment into retirement. Obviously, they've got mobility issues. So it's just a question of, you know, what does that actually look like practically? And do the people who these initiatives are aimed at, you know, are they finding it patronising or is it actually quite useful? Because it's not just about falls and mobility and like park benches and stuff, isn't it? It's also about recognising that a lot of older people are very active. They're very able to move around. They're able to contribute. And actually, like, there should be more avenues for people to be able to contribute to society after they're retired. Um, but also builders and people building public realms should think about older people as well as young people when they're like designing their their infrastructure. Um, and there's also quite a big focus, focus on loneliness, isn't there as well? Because that's obviously a massive problem when people leave the workforce, they lose a lot of their sort of social um, grouping. And yeah, there's, isn't there a reasonable amount of focus on, on loneliness? You've been speaking to, a, uh, I think, a, a musical group who are trying to combat that. Mm, yeah, so um, yeah, social isolation is definitely, you know, um, a larger issue when, when you get older. Yeah, so I spoke to this sort of um, very sort of a lovely band called uh, Silhouette Band who are, are made of made up of uh, members who are 60 plus. They were speaking to me about sort of the importance of sort of creativity, sort of mental, you know, mental health and actually um, sort of visiting care homes and sort of using music as a way to sort of connect people and sort of 
tackling um, yeah social isolation. Really interesting. Uh, you've got a story coming up for mill members on that next week. Now, listeners who downloaded or listened to our Sunday episode will have heard me and Jack talking about our big story about homelessness in Manchester. That was an investigation we worked on for months uh, with data scientists from the University of Manchester, um, several reporters in the newsroom. And I think it's sort of subsequently turned into one of our biggest stories. Since then, we've been sent an internal report done by an outside consultancy firm called Red Quadrant, who have been reviewing Manchester City Council's systems when it comes to homelessness. We've got a story about that in this week's um, Thursday newsletter, which is a members-only newsletter, so, so do join us if you want to read this in more detail. The report effectively portrays the inside working of of how this homelessness directorate works within the council, this very important department, and this department has ballooned in size and budget. The report says that from January to March this year, um, saw 3,154 new cases, um, which is uh, cases where a household is homeless or at risk of homelessness and it says that's the highest rate to date and it's part of an ongoing upwards trend which is something you you know from reading our big story recently. I think there are a few important aspects of the report that are worth highlighting just on this podcast and people can read more about this in our newsletter. Firstly, the report from Red Quadrant, this consultancy, says the homelessness service is reactive. It's effectively much too focused on supporting those in crisis and therefore doesn't have enough time and resource to work on prevention. And prevention means helping people to get housing when they're in difficult circumstances so that they don't become homeless. So they're spending the vast majority of their money, I think it's around 75%, on the bit after people become homeless rather than on prevention, which um, which is a problem we highlighted, but I think this report really like brings it home um, in more detail than, than we were able to. The second takeaway that I took away from this report is it portrays a team with sort of poor morale and uh, people who are finding it difficult to achieve change. I quote from the report, we encountered a team that was struggling to move forward on a wide agenda, close quote. A senior manager is quoted saying, quote, the morale is quite poor in the team due to the constant pressure and the vacancy factor the team carries most of the time due to a lack of suitable applicants. So they're losing a lot of people, they're struggling to hire people, morale is low. That was that, that stuck out to me and it, it followed what our reporting on this story, but I think, um, again, it kind of confirms it. The third aspect is that they are recommending more money be, be, be put into this in order to start making cost savings over the next few years. So it says more investment is needed, and that's on top of these sort of eye-watering sums of money that are already being spent on this service. They quote that they say, quote, to implement the recommendations in this report, a major investment in resources required to shift effort towards prevention activities and target a reduction in those reaching crisis and requiring temporary accommodation, close quote. So members can read more about that um, on our site. Um, it's the latest bit of our reporting. It's the third part of our of our report, recent reporting into homelessness in Greater in, in Great yeah in Greater Manchester, but specifically in, in Manchester and the way the council's dealing with it. So go and have a look at that. Okay, Danny, let's do a few quick hits, a few stories that people should know about and that we can cover briefly. You've been reading about a story about, interestingly, the effect on pothole repairs caused by the um, the invasion of Ukraine. What's that about? 
Yes. Yeah, so Bolton Council has said that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is to blame for the increase in costs in pothole repairs. So that means um, less improvements are going to be carried out, um, which is, I guess, bad news for car drivers. Um, but um, yeah, so around 60% of um, bitumen, which um, I believe is the material used in most UK road repairs, actually comes from Russia. So um, this was in the Bolton News. Um, councils have reportedly been hit by a 22% spike in road maintenance costs since the conflict between Russia and Ukraine started in February. Unreal. It's it's probably not the, the most important consequence of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but it is important in Bolton. The second quick hit is actually one that I found. Academics and local leaders gathered in Rochdale this week and they were launching a new report written by experts from the University of Manchester. The report is called On Productivity, and it's trying to understand um, and, and address sort of gaps in economic performance across the UK. For example, they say, 2019 research found that Greater Manchester's productivity was 89% of the UK average. Let's say the UK average is 100, Greater Manchester is 89, falling from 92% in 1998. So actually, in relative terms, Greater Manchester has fallen further behind the national average in productivity, which is obviously worrying because it coincides with a time where certainly Manchester's growth has been, has been strong economically. The report talks about, and I quote, concerns about the unusual weak productivity record of the second tier cities, which include Manchester, Birmingham, Sheffield and Leeds. For example, and I quote again, the level of output per hour in both Greater Manchester and Birmingham was 68% of that in London, but also almost a quarter or more below peer cities in Western Europe, close quote. So like, you know, comparable um, second cities in other countries like France and Germany. So that report um, is available on on the University of Manchester's website. It's called um, On Productivity. Now, Danny, the final quick hit we're going to do is about an inappropriate relationship with a prison inmate. What's going on here? Yes. So a Manchester nurse has admitted to having um, an inappropriate relationship with a prison inmate. So um, the MEN reported on this earlier. Um, The paper says Elise Hibbs, who is 25, became involved with the prisoner while she was working at Strangeways. Um, She's pleaded guilty. Um, to misconduct in a public office and could actually face jail time. Okay, so that's our quick hits for the week. Danny, you have been working on a story that's, I think, been sort of taking up your time for more than a month now. It's kind of, I think, to, to my mind, the most interesting story we've, we've currently got running. It is about a funeral you went to where no one there was a relative of, of, of the person who had died. Tell us a little bit about this story. So I saw a Facebook post from a celebrant who was asking for people to come to a man's funeral. This man was, um, you know, a stranger and he'd actually died a lonely death. So he had died inside his flat and had lain for a number of days before he he was discovered. And, you know, when, when someone dies, you know, you're, people often try and find the next of kin, friends and family. But this man had absolutely no one. So um, the celebrant was asking for people to to come along um, to be at the graveside to sort of see him on, on his final journey. And, you know, that really moved me. That was such a, a sort of a really profound experience. And so I, I decided to start looking into who this man was, what, you know, what his life was like, and maybe if I could find his relatives. And, 
yeah, and in doing so in my search, you know, I uncovered some some surprising and sort of um, uncomfortable details, which made me question everything that I had thought about him. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a fascinating story. We're hoping to run it next weekend. So not not this coming weekend, but next weekend, obviously, these things can move around. But yeah, it's one of one of your one of your most interesting stories, I think. So yeah, people should look out for that. Danny, before we let everyone go, I think we should recommend things that um, we're doing this weekend. And I know what you're going to recommend because you always recommend this uh, group stuff. Um, Take it away. Yes. So this is my nod for the week. I am going to see Manchester Collective's show called Weather. It's on at the Royal Northern College of Music on Friday. It's an immersive um, sort of audio visual installation. So it's going to feature a live string orchestra performance. And Chris Watson, who is an award-winning field recordist um, and has worked for the likes of the BBC, has sort of gone through his archives and created some really um, interesting soundscapes. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, I am going to be going to a comedy event. It's part of Laughterama, which is Manchester's all-new comedy festival, which is a um, Castleville Bowl. Uh, it's five nights. Um, it's already underway, actually, but it's going on all weekend. Um, it's featuring comedians like Nish Kumar, um, Tim Key, uh, Lou Sanders. Danny, have you been watching the uh, Tim Key's Witchfinder program on the BBC? Uh, no I have not what that's mad I can't believe people are not watching it it's hilarious The Witchfinder it's been on iPlayer Um, it's about like a sort of middling failing witchfinder in an East Anglian village who's sort of like looking for his next gig anyway that's Tim Key that's why I'm going to his um, thing on Sunday and that's part of um, Laughterama so yeah join me at that I think there are tickets still available Danny, before we go, I think we should acknowledge that we've got a listener in Australia. Dr. Tony Gilmore, president um, of the Housing Action Network in, in Australia. He said, I heard the Mills podcast while on a long drive up the east coast of Australia. Very happy to support quality journalism. I'm, ex-Man- I'm ex-Manchester, now based in uh, south of Sydney in, in New South Wales. He said, keep up the good work. And he's joined us as a paying member after listening to the podcast. And then I asked him, how did you find the podcast? And I think he said... I was just searching, you know, Manchester, and once I got past all the football ones, I found you guys. So how lovely that he became a member just from listening to this. Oh, brilliant. Well, welcome, Tony. Welcome, Tony. And if you are listening to us around the world and you're an ex-mank from, from somewhere else or, or just you just found it and you like the podcast, please can you uh, drop us an email to yoshi at manchestermill.co.uk or danny at manchestermill.co.uk and then um, we'll, we'll give you a shout-out. Right, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to this uh, podcast. We are coming back into your feed. As long as Danny nails all, all, all the news bits she needs to do at Mayfield Depot and records all the great things that she's going to hear, we're going to have a special episode about the Mayfield Park coming into your feed on Sunday. Next week, we'll be back with our, our regular um, episode on, on Thursday with a roundup. I, I say this all the time, but... If you haven't checked out the Mill newsletter, if you're more of a podcast reader, we'd love you to check it out. Um, you can get the free version, which comes twice a week. You can get the paid version, which comes four times a week. If you like the kind of journalism that you hear on the podcast and, and the discussions we have, you'll find a lot more of that in our newsletter. And you can support us and, and get all of our stories, all of our work by paying £7 a month. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Danny, for your great contributions. And we will see you soon. <laughs>